the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hi again, and welcome to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to episode number five of the podcast, and I'm Kate Setter, your host for today. I'm a member of the communications team at Cincinnati Children's, and we have a really fun conversation um, for today. Fun, but really important. I am joined in the studio today by Trisha Wendling and Trisha Earle, who are part of our penicillin allergy testing service. And we're talking about penicillin and penicillin allergy today. Trisha Wendling, I'm going to start with you. Would you give, um, would you take just a couple minutes and tell us about yourself and about your role here at Cincinnati Children's? Sure. Thank you, Kate. Uh, my name is Trisha Wendling. I'm a nurse practitioner that works in our penicillin allergy testing service. Um, I have about 25 years of experience as a nurse practitioner. Majority of it has been in primary care. And the last two years, I've been working with our penicillin allergy testing service and have really enjoyed uh, learning more about this um, allergy that sometimes we've ignored in the past and really excited about what we can offer our patients to improve their, their health. Thank you. And Trisha Earle, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Hi, Kate. I'm so pleased that you've invited us to come. Um, as, as you said, my name is Trisha, um, I-C-I-A, um, in case you're wondering how to tell the Trishas apart. <laughs> um, I'm uh, the care coordinator for the penicillin allergy testing service. And I really am kind of a newcomer on, you know, into the program. Um, I believe I started in October of last year. But before then, my experience is, was mostly in neurology, neuroscience. Um, I spent a number of years on A7 doing that. And I took a break from actually the workforce. Um, I say, you know, to uh, to grow some kids and raise some chickens. Um, I'm a chicken enthusiast. <laughs> anyway, um, so when I came back into the workforce, um, you know, during that time off, actually, I should say, one of the things I that I was able to do is to stay engaged in nursing. I was able to do some medical missions. And so I think that's what birthed in me kind of a, um, an interest in, um, in community health. And I think that's, you know, when I started an allergy and I was just kind of making all those connections, like how that's important for, you know, for the health of our kids. Um, and then I was introduced to penicillin allergy, just something clicked. I just saw the mission and the vision and it really ignited a passion in me to, uh, to move this forward and just get the word out how important this is. Fantastic. That's a great place for us to start. And I, I have a feeling there are probably some people right now thinking, Hmm, community health with an allergy and we will get there. Um, let's start kind of at the beginning though. And tell us a bit, like what is penicillin and what, um, what do people mean when they say like allergic to penicillins? What other, um, what other medications are typically kind of grouped in there as well? So penicillin is a class of antibiotics. Um, it was discovered all the way back in 1928. It was one of the first antibiotics discovered. 
And in that class of penicillins, you're going to have um, different um, antibiotics. So you're going to have amoxicillin and augmentin are going to be two of the most common that you um, will see with kids. There are some other antibiotics that are other penicillins that typically are used um, when uh, a patient's in the hospital. So the most common, like I said, are going to be the amoxicillin and the augmentin. So definitely have heard those in kind of my years of parenting that those those medications have come up. And I think that they're typically um, like what I've experienced, some pretty typical childhood illnesses that are treated. I'm thinking strep is the one that pops into my head. What other typical childhood allergies would penicillin treat? So penicillin is going to be the first line treatment, like you said, for a lot of childhood um, infections. So ear infections, strep, like you mentioned, um, it can treat some bladder infections. It can treat some skin infections like cellulitis, um, and it also can treat pneumonia. It's, it's almost always going to be the, the first line treatment for most infections in kids. So... I can see where we're going with this. If it's something that a child is allergic to, that takes away that first line treatment for a whole lot of things. Yes, it does. Do we have any estimate of how many kids or people in general have a penicillin allergy listed on their medical record? A lot. A lot. Today I ran a the slicer dicer. Um, it's a feature within Epic that kind of, you know, you can get some information kind of about, you know, the um, your patient population. Um, and we have in the neighborhood of over 50,000 kids um, with a penicillin allergy on um, in their medical record. So um, so that's just here at Cincinnati that's Children's. That's just yeah. here Like at that's our patient population, 50,000. Yeah, it affects about 10% of the population, uh, or at least 10% report it. We actually think the true incidence is about 1%. Uh, but these these allergy labels are typically um, acquired in childhood because it only stands to reason children receive more antibiotics than adults do. So this is typically when they acquire that allergy label and it just carries them through lifetime. So about 10 percent think they have an allergy, but it's probably less than 1 percent. So what is that typical scenario of a kiddo who ends up with this this allergy on their record? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> um, this is um, so I get as a care coordinator, I'm usually the voice that um, that you might first come into contact with after your uh, physician gives you the, you know, a referral. Um, and so I typically kind of am the person that first starts to kind of get put together the pieces of your story. And if I've heard it one time, I've probably heard it a hundred times. Um, it typically um, it's uh, my child began with a fever. Um, they weren't feeling well. They went to their primary care physician who thought their ears might look red. So they were given um, an amoxicillin or augmentin um, for a possible ear infection. And then within a couple of days, um, sometimes as you know, late as four or five days, um, they broke out in a rash. Um, and so that's kind of like the beginning of it. And at that point, um, physician says, hey, you're allergic to this, or there's a good possibility you're allergic to this, and then they switch them over to something different. And it's usually something that's more broad spectrum. Um, and so that, you know, I want to make sure I, you know, we talk a little bit about what, you know, kind of the difference, because penicillin is more narrow spectrum. It um, It's much more targeted for, you know, the infection that we're trying to treat. 
Um, and so by going to a broad spectrum, we're sometimes using a really big gun that has a lot of side effects mm -hmm. um, and a lot of implications. Um, and so it just kind of snowballs into that. Um, and typically, then we have a difficult to treat ear infection, which turns into, you know, sometimes they end up with bronchitis. And after a few months of these recurrent ear infections, they end up with, they need to get PE tubes. Mm -hmm. So now it's a surgery. And so do you see how mm -hmm. one thing kind of snowballs right into the next? So that's pretty typical for how it first gets labeled. At that point, like I, I'm wondering in um, because one of my one of my three kids had um, w was labeled with penicillin allergy just over a year old. And she's since been through your program and we've gotten rid of it. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But can a parent ask at that point, hey, I'm not sure I'm ready to put this on my child's record as an allergy yet? Like, how could somebody begin to navigate that instead of just saying, oop, rash, check, mm -hmm. now this kid has an allergy? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And it's kind of not an easy answer as well, because the the rashes that we will see with viral illnesses can also look like the rashes that you see with um, an allergy. Mm -hmm. We know that this true allergy in children and oral amoxicillin is very, very rare. We think it's probably somewhere between one in 500,000 to one in a million. So it's not very common. Um, but you, you may find physicians who are just a little hesitant to prescribe it again because they're they're just not sure. Um, I think it's important for parents to question it though and also talk about you know do you think this rash could have been caused from anything else and, and kind of you know weigh that some are going to be more willing to prescribe it again and, and others may not. Um, the true definition of allergy means it's reproducible so that if we give it again and we get the same response, then that, you know, kind of solidifies it. But just that one time, it's hard, hard to know for sure if it was a, an allergy to the antibiotic. So when we're talking about those true allergies, are the symptoms any different if it is one of those kiddos who's the one in 500,000 that does have, have the true allergy? Those would we would probably look at in terms of having like an anaphylactic reaction. So you would have um, difficulty breathing, you would have hives, you would have some swelling. Um, you could also have some uh, vomiting, um, abdominal pain, things like that that go with it. Um, since it's so rare in children, we just don't see it at all. Mm -hmm. um, we see more um, it's a little bit more significant as well as if you've given the dose and within, you know, 15, 30, 45 minutes that they're developing hives, that's a little bit more suggestive of an, an allergic reaction. Um, it's not a slam dunk by any means because we've seen a lot of kids who, who developed hives within that first hour, but were not truly allergic. But it definitely kind of shifts your thinking a little bit more seriously that it could be more of an allergy. And what if you have a kiddo whose parents or one parent has Ooh, that's an allergy a good listed? One. That's such a good one. It does that is that a red flag? Is that, you know, should the family be more careful with the kids if if mom and dad, mom or dad have have the allergy? Well, um <laughs> I'd love to answer that. Um 
no, it's really not. Like the research, uh, the data out there just has not um, has not supported that there's any familial link. So even if you have, you know, your sibling, you know, the siblings of your child has had a reaction while on penicillin, even if you've had a reaction or grandpa or an aunt or uncle had a life-threatening, you know, true anaphylactic reaction to a penicillin, that does not make you any more or your child any more uh, susceptible to having an allergic reaction. So that's, I don't know, I think that's really great news. Yeah. We've actually had a lot of siblings in our, in our clinic and tested them, um, you know, two siblings, three siblings, and, and they all, they all had the same story. You know, they were two years old, they had an ear infection, we got some amoxicillin and five days later they got a rash. And, you know, it definitely makes you think about it if all three of your children did the same exact thing. Um, but I mean, I've tested these kids and none of them have been allergic um, we don't know the, of any genetic link with it. Um, sometimes I wonder if there's just some way, some kind of genetic component to how families metabolize medications that maybe, you know, that, that kind of set it up for, for that family. But um, I've not seen it where there's been um, any children in the family um, that have been allergic with a parent supposedly having an allergy or even another sibling. Yeah. So if you're one of those parents that, you know, you're concerned about your child having this allergy because, you know, either you've personally experienced or you've seen it, you know, in one of your other children, you're withholding, um, you know, just to be safe. Um, I just want to give you permission to go ahead and let them have the preferred antibiotic for their infection. There's no greater risk to them than anyone else in the population. I think that that's really a fantastic, you know, a fantastic place for us to start talking um, about like what, so what does a lifetime of using an antibiotic that isn't the preferred antibiotic, what can that look like? So there are many consequences to this. Um, There's kind of a, I really do want to go through um and you know, help people understand what the burden of having that penicillin allergy label. And I'm speaking to those families that are affected by penicillin allergies, but I'm also speaking to families that do not have someone in their family with a penicillin allergy because it does affect all of us. Um, I think if there's anything that we've kind of um, it's that's been highlighted through this season of COVID is the importance of public health. Um, and so, you know, to answer your question about what that burden is uh, with penicillin allergies. And that's really um, antimicrobial resistance. And what that means is that these medicines that we used to be able to treat you um, for now are resistant to a lot of that bacteria. And so the reason why that happens is because there's a lot of antibiotic misuse and abuse. Um, So we're, again, prescribing the wrong antibiotic for, um, for something that should be taken care of with just a penicillin. Um, and often, um, so that, that by itself also carries, um, kind of the burden of the economic, there's an economic risk to that. So, um, I pulled some numbers from the interwebs and I was looking at the cost of clindamycin. So clindamycin is one of those alternatives that a lot of physicians that are concerned about your child having, um, a penicillin allergy, they'll switch you over to here. Let's, we'll try this. Um, it's like $93.99 for 
um, for a course of um, clindamycin. Um, for your penicillin, it's less than $5. So, you know, that's, wow, that's a huge cost. And if you think about how many times in your lifetime um, that you and or your child will incur that cost, I mean, it just, it's exponential. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Um, the cost of your hospital stays also increase. Um, I pulled um, a research article from just, um, it was just published in March, and I'm sorry, I don't have it in the forefront so I can cite it, but um, they thought um, for each hospitalization, it will cost you an additional $1,000 to $4,000 per admission if you have a penicillin allergy label. So that's because, you know, so that includes not just the cost of, you know, the higher cost of your medication, mm -hmm. but also because we got to keep you here longer. Longer stays. Yeah. About five, five point five times longer. If you have a penicillin allergy label, you'll stay in the hospital. Okay. So help unpack that a little bit for me. Um, how do we end up at 5.5 times longer just because it takes longer to resolve the infection? You're treating with an antibiotic that's not the preferred and not the first line treatment. So it may take longer. It may only come in an IV form. So we can't switch you over to an oral form and send you home. Um, and you can't typically don't do IVs at home. So they're going to stay in the hospital longer for the treatment. Um, and then, uh, you know, added on that cost as well. We also know that um, if you have a penicillin allergy label, you're at um, twice the likelihood of getting an infection after surgery uh, related to that surgery. So that's another piece as well. And again, it goes back to the fact that we can't use the preferred first line treatment and we have to use alternatives, which just don't work as well. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, Logically, you would think, okay, broader spectrum, it's going to cover more things. I know, it and sounds it's good, doesn't work it? Better. It, it, yeah. it does sound good, but that's like what contributes to the MRSAs of the world, the correct? Antibiotic resistance, yeah, exactly. And not yeah. just, and we haven't even touched upon the other burden of it is, um, you know, when you were using those broad spectrum antibiotics, it kills a lot of bacteria. So that seems like a good idea, right? Um, except it's also killing some good bacteria that we actually need mm -hmm. on our bodies, right? So, you know, let's take back, you know, let's go back to that example with our kid with the ear infection that's now we, we keep treating, right, with something different. Um, he, this child also has developed a nasty yeast infection in his diaper area. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes um, they develop C. difficile. So, um, you know, it just, again... They have side effects, um, and depending on what antibiotic, too, you know, there's um, it can. Um, they're just more. We should be more cautious. They mm -hmm. do have side effects. Yeah, the side effect profile of our alternative antibiotics is is pretty extensive when you compare it to our first line penicillins. I'm remembering the one that turns poop bright red. That is a very weird side effect. <laughs> I believe that's. Uh, one of the cephalosporins. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter had yeah. that one one time. Um, and so, which brings me to, I, I think that it's, you know, it's clear that removing this allergy, if possible, right, if that's if appropriate possible. for, yeah. for that child's, um, health, removing it from the medical record sounds like a good idea. So what does that look like? What does, what does testing look like? And, you had both mentioned that you're, you know, this is fairly new. So 
is it available? Is it available to anyone who would like to have their their child or even themselves tested? Well, in this area, I think we're probably the only ones doing it um, in pediatrics, but I know they also do up in uh, Columbus as well. It is new, but it's not new. I mean, penicillin allergy testing has been around for years, um, but it's just gotten to the point where we've looked at the research and we've really realized that 95% of the people who think they have an allergy to penicillin are not really allergic. And that 95 could even go up a little bit higher, but that's kind of where we are right now. So when we consider the significance um, that this penicillin allergy label has, and then also couple that with the fact that 95% are not truly allergic, um, there, there is a, a big need, and that's kind of why we, we grew this clinic as well. Um, our allergy testing is very simple. Um, the majority of the time, there's no needles. Uh, we, we love that. Uh, <laughs> what we do is we give a, an oral dose of the amoxicillin and we watch that child for a full hour. Um, and that's really what the testing involves. So when my daughter did it, we had the you know, the dose. And then I think we took some home with us too. Is that a, um, sometimes thing or do most kids also have kind of that follow-up for a few days? The majority of the time we do a follow-up as well, because we're trying to see if there's, you know, there's kind of immediate reactions and that's what the one hour of observation that we do in the uh, office, but then there's also delayed reactions. So, the majority of the time we will do what we call an extended challenge where you do four days at home just once a day. Um, it's not 100%, but the majority of them, we will do that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and I think parents, I mean, I don't know, it's the parent knowing that um, because typically when I speak to parents, it wasn't usually on the first day. It's usually, you know, subsequent days. Mm -hmm. So I think it really helps to give everyone the confidence that, um, Hey, I can take this for a few days. I can give this to my child for a few days. They'll be able to, you know, tolerate an extended course of amoxicillin if the need should arise. Um, so I think that really kind of helps to solidify that for, um, and also to the primary care practitioners out there that um, are just have hesitancy. And with good, you know, I, I don't think that that's a wrong thing. I think it's good to be, um, to you know, to be safe. You know that. Uh, old adage of, you know, better safe than sorry, that's okay for maybe the moment, but it's really important to be able to go back and, you know, re-examine that. Um, and that extended challenge helps to do that. Mm -hmm. Are there any risks to it? I mean, I feel like allergy is one of those things that there's just kind of a certain amount of anxiety for, for certain people. Um, you know, are, are there any real risks to it? And, you know, is there anything that you would share with families who maybe are hesitant just because it is a little mm -hmm. bit scary? Sure. The, there's always going to be a risk to any, you know, any medication we give, any treatment we do. But it's incredibly rare with this oral amoxicillin. Like I said, we think those immediate um, reactions happen about one in 500,000. Um, and that's that true anaphylactic reaction. What we see in the clinic is probably about 1%, maybe 2% will develop um, a hive or maybe some, some itching with a rash. Um, in the course of the last two years, I've um, challenged about 428 and only 10 have had something 
somewhere within that first hour, but then some even a couple hours later. Um, it's been a hive, um, a rash, some itching, things like that. Uh, typically, we give Benadryl if we feel like we need to. Um, I think only a couple of times have we even done that. Um, so the the risk is there, but you know we we think it's very minimal. Um, there's never been any um, known deaths from doing the the amoxicillin allergy uh, testing across the across the world. Um, in most of the studies, there's never been any. And so it makes sense that in the in the office with you keeping a close eye on the patient, if something were to happen, you're right there to do right. what needs to be done yeah. to reverse that reaction. Yeah. Typically, we just kind of sit and watch it for a little bit to see. And if, you know, another couple of hives pop up, we might do some Benadryl. But we don't, you know, rush right to it because a lot of times it goes away on its own and it's not anything significant. We know that um, people get hives for a lot of different reasons, and stress is definitely one of them. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if there's any kind of anxiety um, at all, we can make ourselves have hives. So a lot of times we we can just kind of sit and watch, and, and they go away on their own. I do love that Trisha usually addresses this when we go in to see a patient, especially older kids. I think with the younger kids, it's not, you know, we might be talking to parents, but um, for the, you know, the older children that have been told all their lives that they're really allergic to this and they should never put it in their body, you know, um, they're really concerned that something awful is going to happen to them. And I love that Trisha um, is great about addressing that and telling them, you know, are you ready for this? Because, you know, you look like maybe you're having some anxiety and you can, you know, your our minds are really powerful. And if you're stressed enough about it, you can start breaking out in hives even before we've begun. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, it is important to address that. And I think that, um, you know, we, we, try, we are very compassionate to that. Um, I've, you know, a parent who had a child with an anaphylactic reaction, his was to peanuts. Um, but I know how scary that is. And I know I never want to be in that place again. Um, that, you know, that feeling of powerlessness. Um, and, you know, what, what do you do? Um, and I don't want to, you know, put my child in danger again. But um, Trisha and I were talking about something really interesting um, just before we came in through the studio. Um, and I was talking to a parent um, and they were asking all the right questions. I love parents. Give, give us lots of questions. We, we really do love it. Um, we want to be a resource to you. Um, but the parent was concerned, you know, okay, well, what happens if we do have a reaction? And, you know, what are the chances of this happening? And I caught myself, I was like, listen, I, I worked in allergy and regular allergy, um, you know, so doing you know, all the food allergies that you can think of, right? Um, so we give kids foods that we know that they're highly allergic to, um, and I told her, I'm like, I am more, I'm more concerned about giving a child dairy or eggs mm -hmm. or peanuts than I am about giving a penicillin mm -hmm. because I've seen, you know, the prevalence in those, you know, those food allergies of having an anaphylactic reaction are so much higher. And so when we talk about risk, it's really important to keep that risk in perspective. Mm -hmm. um, what is the, you know, the chance of my child having an anaphylactic reaction to penicillin. And it's so small. And I know that um, as a parent, I don't want to do anything to put my child, um, you know, in danger. But I also have to think about what am I keeping them from by not doing this allergy testing? You know, I'm keeping them from better health outcomes. 
I'm keeping them, you know, from, um, you know, lower, uh, lower healthcare costs. Those are the things that I'm thinking, you know, about. And so it helps to think of it that way. That is a great way to think of it. And I'm, I'm going back to what, what you mentioned a couple minutes ago about the better safe than sorry approach kind of in the beginning when these kiddos have a rash that presents, you know, during an illness, during a course of, um, of an amoxicillin or an augmentin, and that isn't necessarily a bad approach is what I'm hearing from mm-hmm. you. But then what's next? Like if it's okay for now, what should parents do next? If they're hearing this conversation that we're having, they're like, oh my gosh, I want to, I, I want to see if we can remove this. Um, what does that next step look like? Well, we know parents are the best advocates for they their are. children. And we yeah. truly want to empower them to be curious about what happened. Um, ask questions. You know, were there any other, you know, do you think there was any other reason why, you know, my child would have had this rash during during this episode? Is it, you know, how sure are you that this is a true allergy? It it is difficult to know, you know, what's going to be an allergy and what was was viral at the time. Um, but we want the parents to question that. We we want the parents to say, you know, at what point can we, you know, check in on this and make sure this was truly an allergy. Testing is going to be the way to do it, and whether their their primary care provider feels comfortable doing that or whether they'd refer to us, one way or the other, that needs to get verified um, so that we know for a fact that it was or was not a, a true allergy. Yeah, because the process of testing really helps to take away some of the mystery because usually, you know, as we were talking about before in our case with our, you know, child with um, the ear infection might have started out with the fever. So there's a lot of other compounding things. And, you know, was it the virus that causes? Was this the bacteria? So by being able to do the testing, we're removing some of those um, the, those other factors. Um, so we want to make sure that they're well um, during, you know, their visit so that they're not having any, um, you know, they, they didn't wake up, you know, feeling puny that day. Um, we want to make sure that they're not on other antihistamines or other antibiotics. So we're removing, uh, you know, kind of those other things um, and then testing them with, you know, um, giving that oral amoxicillin. Um, and seeing what happens. And it's important. I want to say too, I, you know, the way we sometimes talk, it feels like we are, um, we feel like it's so safe. Um, I also don't want to give the impression to parents that we should be flippant about this testing either. Because if you are one of those kids that did have a true reaction, um, you know, we, we don't, we don't want you to try this at home is what I'm saying. It's important to do it under the supervision, you know, in a safe medical environment where you are being, where you and or your child is being observed and they are able to be treated immediately. Um, I forgot where else I wanted to go with that, but there's, I just want to make sure that we're addressing. I think, no, I, I think that's a really good, you know, don't try this at home. Right. That, that <laughs> we, yeah, th- those are, those are good. Um, you know, good disclaimers for us to put right. on this. Um, so, yeah, because we do work really hard. I mean, what you don't see behind the scenes is, you know, again, we make it feel like it is because because we really truly believe this is very safe. But there's also a lot of behind the scenes work that Trisha is doing um, and the other providers are doing. They're really looking, you know, with a fine tooth comb, they're going through your history and they're doing, you know, they're thinking with their, you know, uh, their clinical knowledge and experience and kind of risk stratifying your child. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, is this a safe, is this a safe instance? Is this the timing? Because the timing of it is really important too. Um, you know, what type of reaction and how long ago it happened, all those things um, will kind of determine um, when we'll do that. And if your child is a good candidate for that. So, yeah, I, that's, that's fantastic. And I think that there's a possibility we're going to reach families who are not in our area specifically. So yeah. if we're reaching somebody who's not in the Cincinnati area is starting with their, uh, their child's primary care provider, the best place to start to say, Hey, I heard about this. Can you help mm-hmm. me learn if there's some place that we can have this done? Absolutely. Yeah. They, they would be the <laughs> ones that would know what they're doing in that area as well. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So what's next with the removing the label from oh, the yeah. child's medical record for like all time to come? Right. So we remove that. Once we're finished with that one hour, I do take it off of our our children's chart at that point. I send a letter to the primary care provider as well, letting them know that we have removed this. This child is not allergic to amoxicillin. And we, we hope that they remove that on their end as well. But really the parent, again, can be that advocate and can make sure that every health encounter they have, they double check and make sure that that has been removed. They And Really, all they have to do is say, my child underwent allergy testing. They're not allergic to penicillins, and I, I want that allergy removed. And then that can be removed um, at, at any different location, whether it be your pharmacy, you know, local hospitals, other physicians. Yeah, we've run into, I've run into um, cases where we've children that we have delabeled, um, and then they have a health encounter somewhere else, and that label is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just want to make sure that, you know, parents um, understand that even though we've removed it from our records and that your primary care physician knows, if you go somewhere else, you might still want to revisit that and make sure that they know that, hey, penicillins is something that we have, you, you know, my child still has, like, a tool in their tool belt, you know, right, um, to use, you know, in case that that is um, indicated. Perfect. Well, I think that this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you both for your expertise and the knowledge that you shared um, with me and with our families today. Is there anything final that we haven't talked about that either of you would want to make sure that we we share before we sign off? Um. I feel like I do. I want um, because we. One of the things that I'm kind of learning about this is that it, um, these little things that we can do to optimize our children's health. Um, you know, we think about your well child visits, and you know, looking and assessing our kids for potential problems. Right. Um, we do things like vaccinations. And this really kind of belongs in, you know, kind of in that realm of preventative medicine. And so, you know, if you are a parent, again, um, with a child that has a, you know, a penicillin allergy label, um, I really do encourage you to, you know, as Trisha said, ask, ask all the questions um, and to look for resources. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about and what we talked about, too, is I would really love to target a lot of like our healthcare, um, our um, insurance companies and advocate for this being part of um, your child's, you know, your regular, um, you know, uh, well child visits, um, because it really um, it's a little thing that goes such a big, you know, such a long way. The trajectory of your child's health stands to be improved significantly. What you do now will affect them in the future. So, um, yeah. 
It's a lot like vaccines. We know that we give vaccines now to protect our children through their lifetime, where if we can get this label removed, we believe it has long-term impacts on that child's health, just like vaccines do. So we, we view it as preventative. We just need to get everybody else on board with that. I, sometimes that's the challenge. Um, this has been such a great conversation, ladies. It really has. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. Mm-hmm. And everybody join us next time on the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. We appreciate you listening today. This episode was recorded on July 7th, 2021. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco. This podcast was produced by Symphony Pitts. Thanks, Symphony. Thanks for listening and join us next week for the Young and Healthy Podcast. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.